Welcome to The Bible Teachers, featuring sermons from around Australia. And here is today's presenter, Josh Gonzalez. Father in heaven, Lord, I just want to thank you so much, Father God, for this beautiful day that you've provided, Lord. I want to thank you so much for the opportunity to share this message, Lord. This is your message, Father God. I just want to pray, Father God, that I be emptied completely of self, Lord. Father God, I pray that you use me as a vessel today, Lord God, because I know that this is a message that a lot of us need to hear. Maybe all of us need to hear, Father God, including myself. And I thank you, Father God, for showing us through your word, Father God, how it is that we can have a victorious life, Lord. So my prayer this morning is that you send your Holy Spirit to be here amongst each and every one of us, Lord, and that you please be um, speaking to the hearts and to the minds and to the ears of everybody listening. We thank you, Father, and we pray in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. I'm going to start the sermon today with a quote found in one of the books called Steps to Christ. Has everybody read Steps to Christ? Yeah? If you haven't read it, read it. It's a short book, powerful book. And trust me, I've seen that book literally change people's lives. I've seen it, right? But there's something in the start of chapter 5 of that book that I want to share. And I want everybody to read this quote and to think about this. Really think about this, right? Listen to what she writes. Steps to Christ, chapter 5, she writes, The warfare against self is the greatest battle that was ever fought. Now, some of you guys might have known, uh, seen, just before I started this sermon, uh, which I should have probably mentioned before I got into it, but the title of the sermon is Your Worst Enemy. And I guess the quote just kind of gave it away, right? Because I was going to ask you, who is your worst enemy? Because a lot of times I speak to Christians and say, who is your worst enemy? And a lot of the, fir the first thing I hear most of the time is the devil. The devil is our worst enemy. But that's not actually the truth. See, I've come to realize that my worst enemy is me, is myself. Because the devil can't make me sin. The devil can tempt me, but if I am going to sin, it is my choice to sin. And when I sin, that is me now that has played out that act, not the devil. Do you understand what I'm saying? And then when I look at this verse, I mean this quote, and she writes, though, I, remember, I remember the first time I ever, ever read this quote. I had to like literally just stop there for 10 minutes and just think about this one sentence. The warfare against self is the greatest battle that was ever fought. That's a powerful quote, and that says a lot right there, right? So if we all just think about that, just take a few minutes to actually think about that, we can, each one of us can relate to this quote, amen? We can all relate to this, right? We know this. Now, we're going to read, uh, I'm going to ask you to turn to the book of Romans, chapter 7, and we're going to read what Paul writes regarding this. Because me personally, I don't know about, about everybody here, but me personally, I can really relate to Paul. Paul writes some things that when I read what he says, I'm like, man, I can relate to this guy. If me and this guy were able to hang out, I could hang out with this guy. We, we could talk, you know what I'm saying? Like, I can really relate to Paul. And Paul writes something here in Romans 7, starting at verse 14. And Paul struggled with this battle against self. And look at what he writes. All right, Romans 7, starting at verse 14. He says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice, but what I hate, that I do. Can anybody relate with that? Can anybody here relate with that? You know something is wrong, yet you do it anyways. And then you feel bad about it, right? The guilt come, you know, comes in. 
We can all relate to this. Paul was struggling with this. He says, verse 16, If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Just take note on what he said there, because we're going to talk about that a bit later on. He says, if I do what I will not to do, he says, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Verse 21 says, If there, I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So this is really interesting. Paul is basically going through something that every single one of us, especially those who are actually seeking a relationship with Christ, we come across this at one point or another in our Christian walk, where we are getting temptations kicking in. We're struggling. You know, we know that we should be living a certain way, but we're doing something else. We know that maybe we shouldn't be watching this television show, but we're watching it. We're spending time with something that we know we shouldn't be, be spending time with. And we have this struggle within us. And we're like, man, how, how do I win here? How am I able to have this victory over these sins that the Bible says so easily beget us? Can everybody relate with this? This is real, right? And when we heard what David preached about a couple of weeks ago, he clearly showed that we are in spiritual warfare. So the Bible tells us, right, in the book of Revelation, that there was a war in heaven, right? There was a war in heaven. It says that, that, um, that Lucifer and his angels fought Michael and his angels. They did not prevail, and they were cast down to the earth. The Bible says that one-third of the angels were cast down to this earth. But before that happened, there was a war in heaven. Now, has the war stopped? Is there still a war going on today? There is, right? Because the Bible then tells us later in Revelation 12, 17, that this dragon is out to make war with who? He can't fight God anymore. The devil can't fight God anymore. So who is he fighting now? It says he's fighting the remnant of her seed, those which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus, which is the spirit of prophecy. So we know that we are in a war. The devil is he's not happy with us. And especially right now in these last days, because we are living in the last days. Do you guys realize the times that we're living in? Jesus Christ is coming back soon. And the Bible says, before I even say that, we know that we're living in the last days. When we open up a Bible and we study, especially the prophecies, we know the times in which we're living in. So if we, as human beings, that use what is it, like 10, 11, 12% of our brain capacity, can figure this out, who else do you think knows that it is nearly at the end of time. Who else? The devil. The Bible says, what does the Bible say about that though? It says that he has come out now because he knows that there is but a short time left with great wrath. So the devil is out to destroy us. He's out to destroy us, but the devil cannot make us sin. He can't do it. He can tempt you though, but he can't actually make, it's your decision to sin. So we have two battles going on, if you want to think about it that way, right? We have an enemy. We have a very powerful enemy who's out to destroy us, who's out to make us fall, who's out to stop our relationship with God, all right? 
But then we have another battle, and that's the battle of self. That's the battle in us. How do we actually fight these temptations? How do we overcome the temptations of the devil? How are we able to be victorious against our enemy? And I love how Paul finishes in verse 25 of Romans 7. He's saying there's this huge struggle going on. A wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Like, is he feeling good when he's saying this? Would you feel good if you're saying this? Of course not. He's like going through a massive struggle. What does he say right after? He says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Because Paul knew that no matter how hard it is, there is a way out. Paul knew no matter how difficult this road is, no matter how strong the temptations of the devil is, there is a way out. What is that way out? What is the secret to succeeding in the Christian walk? There is one secret, only one. And we're going to have a look at that right now. Turn to the book of John chapter 15. The book of John chapter 15. I remember I was doing some, um, some study one night, just at home by myself one time, at night time, and, and God brought me across this chapter. He brought me to the book of John, chapter 15. And I was just reading this over and over and over and over and over again. And as I was reading it, it just smacked me, and he said, this is the secret right here to succeeding in the Christian walk. Let's see what he says, starting at verse 1. Who's speaking here? Jesus Christ. This is Jesus. When we, start, we started this morning, right, about the power of the Word of God, right? Sharper than any two-edged sword, right? It brings life. It has power is what we're told, right? This is the Word of God that we're listening to right now. Listen to this. John 15, starting at verse 1. Jesus Christ says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman, or the vine dresser. Why does Jesus Christ say, I am the true vine? Why doesn't he just say, I am the vine? Have you ever stopped to think about that for a second? He could have just said, I am the vine, and my father is the vine. He's, no, he says, I am the true vine. Why? Because there are many other vines out there, aren't there? There are many other gospels out there. There's many other paths that people are on trying to find truth. But we know through the Bible, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Right? He's saying here, I am the true vine. That's critical to understanding this because we, just from the first verse, we're already being told he is the only way. I am the true vine. Look what he says, verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purges it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Anybody here familiar with horticulture? Has anybody ever here grown you know, trees and things like that before? So when you read this, you can relate to this, right? Every branch that does not bear fruit, what do you do with that branch? You cut it off. Why do you cut it off? So another branch can grow in its place that will bear fruit. That's exactly what he's saying here. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, the father, the vine dresser, takes it away. And every branch that bears fruit, you know, he, pur he, he um, purges it, purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken to you. Listen to what he says here. This is critical. Every single one of us here this morning has to memorize these next two verses. You have to memorize these next two verses because these two verses are going to give you victory in the Christian walk. You have to always remember this. Verse 4, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine. 
No more can you except you abide in me. Verse 5 of John 15. In verse 5, we find the single secret to succeeding in the Christian walk. The very words of Christ. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit for... Everybody, please read the next few words. Read it louder. One more time. For without me, you can do nothing. I'm going to give you guys a couple of seconds to just think about that because it doesn't look like everybody got it. For without me, he says, you can do nothing. As Christians... Are we expected to live a victorious life? We are, right? Do we have a standard that we must uphold? We do. Is it easy to do that? No, it's not. Jesus Christ is telling you here this morning, he's saying, if you are struggling in this Christian walk, if you are struggling with sin, if you cannot overcome, if you are like Paul and you feel like you're in that, that point where you, what, what you want to do, you do not do, and what you don't want to do, you end up doing. If you find yourself in that situation, Christ is giving you hope this morning because he's saying to you, listen, the first thing you need to know is that without me, you have no chance. You have no chance. And this, this, this verse here, John 15, 5, goes with another verse that every single one of us I hope knows, Philippians 4.13. Can anybody off the top of their head quote Philippians 4.13? Not Lyle, because I know he knows. Anybody else? I can do all things through Christ who? For without me you can do? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And this is so important because there's a big problem that we have as Christians. Something that I've personally experienced myself. We fight the wrong fight. And when um, Dr. Eric Walsh, who wasn't here long ago, has spoken a couple of times at our church, was here last time, and there's a specific sermon of his that, that I really love, and there's something in it that he got from a book of a, an author called Morris Venden, which was called um, Fighting the Fight of Faith. And it's, it's basically, there's two different fights that as Christians we fight. One is called the fight of faith, and one is called the fight of works. Now, the fight of works is something that I can pretty much guarantee every single one of us here in this church at one point in our Christian experience has tried to fight. The fight of works tells you that I am going to do everything in my power to stop sinning. I'm going to do everything in my power to overcome and be victorious. I'm going to stop doing this. I'm going to stop doing that. I'm going to do this and live like this. You know what happens every time that you do it that way? Has everybody ever here experienced that? I know I have. What happened to you when you tried to do that? Did you get very far? You failed. Every time you fail. Why? Because God is saying, without me, you can do nothing. Why are you trying to find victory? Why are you trying to gain victory in your Christian walk without Jesus Christ's help? Why are we doing this? Because Christ is clearly telling us we cannot do this. So then you have the fight of faith. And the fight of faith listens to what he says in John 15, 5. And the fight of faith turns around and says, Lord, I recognize that I'm a sinner. Lord, like Paul, I recognize, oh, wretched man that I am, chief among sinners. I know personally, I don't know about you, I don't know everybody personally, but me personally, without Jesus Christ in my life, I am a disgusting person. I'll be the first to admit that. Without Jesus Christ, who knows where I would be? 
I'm filthy, completely filthy. It is only through the grace of God that I am here today. It is only through this power that I am here today and able to be able to have victory in this Christian walk. Because I recognize at one point and I, I realize, I go, the more that I try to do this out of my own power, out of my own will, I keep on failing every single time. And I praise God that he put this counsel in there in John 15, 5, where he clearly tells you, he goes, if you're going to try to go out there and have victory in this Christian walk, if you're going to try to be victorious in the Christian walk and you're trying to do that without me, what's going to happen? You're going to fail, right? And I praise God for that because he's telling us here, without me, you can do nothing. This is what I want every single one of us this morning to leave this church knowing in our minds and in our hearts. Can you gain victory over sin? Can you gain victory over sin? Yes. Is it easy to live a victorious life? What is the key to gaining victory and to have a victorious life? Jesus Christ says, abide in me and I in you. For without me, you can do nothing. Now, how do we abide in Christ? We surrender our will. That's where it starts. But once we surrender our will, are we then, you know, are we then still, are we still tempted after we surrender our will? There's a de- when you make that decision, say, Lord Jesus Christ, I surrender my heart to you. I'm yours now. I'm going to live for you. Do you think the devil goes, oh, look, man, oh, couldn't get him. I'm going to go try someone else. Is that what the devil does? No. The devil goes, oh, yeah, you reckon? Surrender, eh? Yeah, we'll see about that. That's what the devil does. Trust me, I know. That's what the devil does. But, thank God that Jesus Christ tells us clearly that if you remain in me and I in you, you will have victory. Without me, you can do nothing. And then we get to be like Paul says. What did Paul say? Paul said, I die daily. Why did Paul say, I die daily? Because Paul knew the day that he woke up and he didn't surrender his life to Jesus Christ, he was finished. He knew that. He said, I have to surrender my will, my heart, my mind, my body, my soul, everything over to Jesus every single day. Every single day. How else do we abide in Christ? Once we've surrendered our life to him. Is prayer important? Is prayer important? Prayer is so important, right? What about studying your Bible? What about having fellowship with others? What about witnessing for God? I tell you, one of the greatest ways that I abide in Christ is sharing the Word of God with others. It just, it, it just rejuvenates me every time. Every single time. I tell you, every time I come to church and I see that guy over there sitting in that bench, man, that keeps me going. It lets me know this is, this is what it's all about. God changed my life, not so that I can come to church every Sabbath and warm up the church seats. You weren't saved just so that you can be comfortable. you got to understand, we are living in the last days. Literally. And we as the remnant church have a special message to go out to the whole world. Remember Jesus Christ, didn't Christ say, and this gospel shall be preached to all the earth and then the end shall come? Isn't that what Christ said? What do you think he was talking about this gospel? What was he talking about? Think about it. Why did he not just say, and the gospel? He said, this gospel. There are many other gospels out there. 
Like we spoke here, he said, I am the true vine. There are many other vines out there. There are many other gospels out there. Jesus Christ said, this gospel, who has this gospel that he was talking about? The remnant. The remnant, by the grace of God, we've been given the message for the last days. And that is our job. That is one of the greatest ways, and I, I can't help but encourage people as much as I can to work as much as you can for Christ. Do what you can. That's why every time we go out as a ministry and we do the I'll preach for Jesus, man, you guys seriously got to come out with us. It's a blessing. I'm telling you, to be able to share with people, to witness, you don't understand the amazing things that God does every single time we go out. Every single time we go out. I have never heard one person ever come to me after going out and witnessing for Christ, say, oh man, that was a waste of time. Oh, I wish we didn't come here tonight. I had other things to do. No, you know what we hear every time? Man, you don't understand what just happened. The Lord gave me the, I don't even know, I don't even know how I said what I said. All of it, because, you know, people sometimes are like, oh, I don't know what I'm going to say. You understand, the Bible, God says, I will give you the words to speak. Remember, God doesn't require an intellectual mind, just a willing heart. You have a willing heart, he will use you. No matter how little you know, he will use you. There are many different ways that we can abide in Christ, but the key is we have to abide in Christ. Didn't we read in, in, the, in the Sabbath school, it said, be doers, not just hearers only? Isn't that what the word says? To be doers and not just hearers only? Don't just hear that you have to abide in Christ. Abide in Christ. Don't just listen to Jesus say to you, hey, listen, without me you can do nothing. And just go, oh, that's nice. Thanks, Jesus. No. And if you don't know how to abide in Christ, ask Jesus. Ask him. Get on your knees and say, Lord, how do I abide in you? Teach me, Lord. I want to abide in you. I want to have victory in my life. Lord, teach me how to do this, please. This is a quote from a book, The Faith I Live By, page 135. Speaking on what we're talking about here. Every individual by his own act either puts Christ from him by refusing to cherish his spirit and follow his example, or he enters into a personal union with Christ by what? What's that there? Self-renunciation, faith, and obedience. Every individual, we either do two things, all right? She says we either do two things here. We either put Christ from us by refusing to cherish his spirit, refusing to follow his example, refusing to abide in him, or we enter into a personal reunion with him by surrendering everything to him, faith and obedience. It's literally, you could say that she's saying, you either push him away by refusing to abide in him, or you enter into a personal union with him by abiding with him. She writes, she goes on to write, we must gain victory over self. The greatest battle that was ever fought was the battle against self. We must gain victory over self, crucify the affections and lusts, and then begins the union of the soul with Christ. After this union is formed, it can be preserved only by continual, earnest, painstaking effort. You don't just surrender your life to Christ and say, that's it, I'm done. Thank you, I'm saved now. I'm telling you, I grew up in a Baptist church. And for, you know, almost 20 years of my life, I was taught once saved, always saved. Did you give your heart to Christ? Awesome. Yeah, see you in heaven, man. Cool. We're saved. Yeah. Now let's go to the club. That's the life that I was living back there. Once saved, always saved. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that there is effort required on your part. Now nothing that you do in the sense of your works will save you. The Bible is clear about that. We are saved only 
through grace, by faith. That's the only way that we're saved. But in order to abide in Christ, there has, is something that we must do. And Paul said it every single day. He said, I die daily. A daily surrender to Jesus Christ is needed. How do we abide in Christ? Let me ask you guys, what's the first thing that you do when you wake up in the morning? What's the first thing that you do when you wake up in the morning? How important is this to you? How important is victory in your spiritual walk? How important is that to you? How much do you love God? How much do you want to please the Lord? Because does it make God happy for you to be living a victorious life? Does it? Think about it. Of course it does, right? Because when you're having victory over sin means you're not sinning. What does sin do to us? It separates us from God. So the fact that you're not doing something you know, on purpose to be separated from, of course it's going to give him joy, right? What do we do every morning when we wake up? Is the first thing that we do get on our knees, open our Bible, or is the first thing we do check Facebook? And this is serious, I'm, I'm telling you. I've found myself a couple of times caught up in that. I'm like, what am I doing? I have to turn the phone off, put it away. This is serious. You understand that the Bible says that the devil knows the times that we're living in. And he has come out with so many distractions and so many different ways to try to stop us from having this relationship with Christ. The devil knows that if we abide in Jesus Christ, he has no chance. He knows that. So what do you think his goal is? What can I do to make sure that this person does not abide in Christ? Hollywood, Foxtel, sports, entertainment, music, you name it computers, internet, whatever you want to call it, right? The devil knows what he's doing. He's very smart. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Remember, David pointed that out a couple of weeks ago. We have got a serious enemy, and he is out to get us. We need to turn around and say, Lord, what can I do, Jesus, to abide in you? Lord, I don't want to live this way anymore. Your word tells me. We learned in the Sabbath school this week the power of the word of God. The Word of God changes lives. If God says something, can you be confident that He is going to come through on what He has said? Of course you can. Can you, can you be confident in what God says as a Christian, as a child of God? If God says something to you, can you count on it? Why? Can God lie? Why, can God not, why, why is it that God cannot lie? Every time, I ask this so many times to so many people, do you, know, do you know that God cannot lie? Why is it that God cannot lie? Oh, because He's God. Because He's good. Because He's holy. Yeah, those things are all true. But do you know why literally God cannot lie? It's because everything He says happens. If He says something, it's going to happen. If he, he gives us promises in His Word. This is Jesus Christ speaking to us. If He says to me, if He says to me, He says, Josh, without me you can do nothing. But through me, you can do everything. Am I not going to listen to him? I can take that to the bank and say, Lord, you have said this to me. This is why this is so important. And every single one of us need to remember this this morning. We need to be able to claim these promises to God. If God says something to you, you can claim that promise. Because God cannot lie. We're going to finish up in Galatians 5. When we're reading John 15, and he's telling us to abide in him, what's he saying? What, what happens as a result of abiding in him? It said it like about four or five times in those verses. Bear fruit. Bear fruit. What is he talking about, bear fruit? 
Galatians 5 verse 16. It says, I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now something I want to point out here. When we heard Romans 7, all right, Romans 7, he was talking about the carnal man. Another word for that carnal man or that carnal nature is he's talking about the flesh, right? That's what he's talking about. So he says, I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. Isn't that interesting right there what he's saying? Isn't that what Paul was talking about in Romans 7? That you do not do those things that you want to do? The spirit and the flesh fight against each other. Understand that because you know what's something that we do? Have you ever had like two friends that can't get along with each other? That you know that if you put them in the same room, there's going to be trouble? Have you ever had two friends like that? You can call those friends flesh and spirit. So you know what we do sometimes as Christians? We say, you know what? I'm going to have a dinner at my house. I'm going to invite flesh and I'm going to invite spirit. I'm going to have a good time. That's what we do. We literally say that. We try to bring the world into our Christian experience. We try to bring those things that we know have nothing to do with the Spirit into a, 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 a gathering with the Spirit, and we want everything to go smoothly. The Bible here tells us that they are at war with each other. They cannot be together. They cannot coexist. Verse 18 says, But if you were led by the Spirit, you were not under the law. Does that mean there's no more law at all? Does that mean the law is gone? No, it means that if you're keeping the law, you're not condemned by the law, right? That's all it's saying to us. But the law is still there. Verse 19, now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now this is very serious right now, because if I was to take away every single one of these descriptions of the flesh, of the works of the flesh, away from Hollywood, Hollywood would not exist, would it? Think about it. It's hard to find a movie or a television show these days that doesn't have almost every single one of these works of the flesh present in them, right? You know what's funny about us as Christians sometimes? How we will sit there and we'll talk about how, you know, oh no, these things are bad, these things are bad, and we will never do these things ourselves, but then we will sit in front of a television and be entertained by them. Isn't there something wrong there, right? You've got to think about it, right? We've got to know we'll have nothing to do with these things, but I'll sit there in front of my TV and I'll watch it. This is serious because Christ told us, right? Jesus Christ said, he said, it is written, you know, thou shalt not commit adultery, but I tell you that if a man even just lusts after a woman in his heart, he's already committed adultery, right? It's the same thing. The thought and the action, same thing. So just, I always want everybody to think about that personally. If you're sitting there and you're watching these things that make you think about these things, like, maybe you shouldn't be watching them, right? Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. This is the fruit. Remember, he said, abide in me and I in you, for without me you cannot bear any fruit. Without Jesus Christ, you will not be able to have the fruits of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. He says, against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. 
I love what he says in verse 22. Those who are Christ, those who abide in Christ, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So we know this morning that we are in a great battle. The greatest warfare ever fought was against self. Your worst enemy is you. Not people in the world, not, you know, not the devil. Your worst enemy is you. Because you are the one who has the choice of how you're going to live your life. You are the one that has the choice of whether or not you are going to abide in Jesus Christ or not. But if you find yourself like Paul, and you find yourself in one of those positions where you're having these, all these struggles and you cannot have this victorious life, Jesus Christ says, you know what? Stop thinking about it. Forget about it. Don't think about the sin. Abide in me. Think about me. Do we not have a famous saying in this church that says, by beholding you become changed? Christ says, stop beholding that. Just behold me. Just come to me. All you need to do is abide in me, and the rest will take care of itself. Stop fighting the fight of works, because you're not going to win. Every single time that you try to overcome sin out of your own power, it is not going to happen. You're going to fail. And guess what happens when you fail? You get discouraged. And that's when the devil loves it. So many people have left the church because they've tried to fight the fight of, of works. They have failed over and over and over again, and they ended up just giving up. Because that's when the devil loves to come and whisper in your ear and say, you know, what are you doing this for? What's the point? Look at you. You just keep failing every single time. Jesus Christ says, no, that's not how it works. You fight the fight of faith, you abide in me. And when you abide in me and I in you, then you will have victory. I'm just going to finish off with a couple of verses. I'm just going to read them quickly off the screen. 1 John 4.13 says, By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. Remember, the spirit fights against the flesh. If we are living according to the spirit, it means that we are abiding in him because we have the spirit. And the spirit is what allows us to not only beat the flesh, but crucify it along with its passions and desires. 1 John 2.6 says, He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Now that's a powerful verse right there, and it's literally telling us that if you say you abide in him, first of all, as a Christian, you should never be lying. So if you are saying that you abide in him, you should actually be abiding in him. Make sense? So if you abide in him, though, then you will actually be able to say, I walk just as he walks. You will know that you walk just as he walks because you are living the way that he lived because did he not abide in his father? Christ abided in his father. Jesus Christ, all right, came to this earth and went through even greater temptations than any single one of us will ever face and he never sinned once. Okay? And the only way that he did that is we know when we study the life of Christ, he abided in his father. He abided in his father, right? First uh, John 3, 6 says, Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. So what happens when we abide in Jesus? We don't sin. Isn't that what, our, what we want? Don't we want to stop this thing that separates us from God? God who loves us so much, who is so good to us, who takes care of us, who provides everything for us, who is always there for us. Don't we want to get rid of this thing that's in the way between him and us? That's what we want, right? Amen. That's what we want. But how do we do it? 
we abide in Christ. Whoever abides in him does not sin. And last verse, I have written to you, fathers, because you have known him, Jesus, who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. How do you have victory in your Christian walk? Abide in Jesus Christ, because there is no other way. He is extremely clear when he says to us, without me, you can do nothing. And I want every single of us here, every single person here today to realize this because some of us here this morning might have struggled with this. Some of us here this morning might be struggling with sin. Some of us here this morning might be feeling like Paul does in Romans 7 where they're in this huge battle, this warfare against self where everything that they want to do, they cannot do it. They cannot find a way to overcome sin and all the things that they know that they shouldn't be doing, they're doing. Some of us here this morning might be feeling this. And also some of us here this morning might be realizing, hey, there's a standard for me to hold as a Christian. I need to be living a victorious life. But if up until this moment you thought it was never possible, Jesus Christ has hope for you this morning. And he says to you this morning, you can do this. You can do this. All you have to do is abide in me. Does everybody here this morning want to make the decision to abide in Christ? Does everybody here this morning want to say, Jesus Christ, I'm not going to think about anything else but you. I'm not going to worry about that sin. Because worry and think about that sin, that's all I'm going to think about and that's just going to consume me. No, you have told me this morning, Jesus, that all I have to do is think about you. I want to abide in you, Lord. I want to give you my heart. I might not be surrendered to you, Lord. I want to surrender to you this morning. I realize that surrender is necessary because I have to let self go. If self is in the way, self is going to stop you from having victory in your Christian walk. If any of you here this morning, I just want you to personally, between you and God, speak to Him. And I'm going I'm to right now, for about a minute or two, we're just going to have a quiet time of prayer, personal prayer, one-on-one, us and our Creator, us and our Savior, us and our Father. And whatever is in your heart to say to God this morning, I ask you to close your eyes and for the next couple of minutes just have a personal talk with your Creator. He's listening to you right now. And I see you remain standing and bow your heads with me. Father in heaven, Lord, I just want to thank you so much this morning, Father God. We want to thank you, Father, because you give us hope, Lord, in your word. Father God, we struggle, Lord God. This Christian walk is not easy. It's so hard, Father God. But we make it harder, Lord God, because we try to fight the fight of works, Father, and try out of our own power, Lord God, to get victory over sin. And we do this sometimes without realizing, Lord, and we do it with good intentions, Father, because all we want to do is stop sinning, Lord, because we don't want to be separated from you. But we thank you so much that this morning you've shown us that that's not the way to do it. Because we know that we fail when we do that, Lord, and you don't want us to be discouraged, Lord. And you tell us clearly this morning, if you have a problem with sin, if you cannot find victory over sin, if your mind and you're, you're warring against self and you're doing that which you do not want to do, we thank you so much that you tell us, abide in you. And we know now that without you, we cannot do anything. Father God, there may have been decisions made for you this morning, Father God. There may have been uh, people here this morning that have surrendered their hearts to you or that have asked you, Father, to help them, Lord God, that they've called out to you and said, Lord, I want to abide in you. Lord, we pray for everyone here and we ask, Lord, that you teach us, Lord, how to abide in you. 
that please, we, we ask you to please speak to us in the morning when we wake up, to speak to us before we go to bed, to speak to us while we're at work, wherever we may be during the day, Father, to call out to us, Father God, so that we may always have you on our mind, Lord. Let us abide in you, Father God. And my prayer is that everybody here may be able to experience that victorious life and to be closer to you each day. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have any questions or comments in relation to today's program, you can call 3ABN Australia Radio within Australia on 02 4973 3456 or from outside of Australia on country code 61 4973 3456 Our email address is radio at 3ABN Australia dot org dot au. That is radio at the number 3ABN Australia. All one word. Dot Our postal address is 3ABN Australia Inc. PO Box 752 Morissette, New South Wales 2264 Australia. Thank you for your prayers and financial support. Persuaded that he is able to give.
again The scene was changed No earth there seemed to be I saw the holy city Beside a tideless sea The light of God was on its streets G'day, my name's Dr. Andrew Pennington and I'm the Practice Principal and an Integrative General Practitioner at Sanctuary Lifestyle Clinic in Waitara in Sydney. Sanctuary Lifestyle Clinic is focused on using lifestyle measures wherever we can to treat, prevent and reverse if possible chronic disease. And today I'd like to talk to you a little bit about diabetes, in particular type 2 diabetes. And many of you will be aware that it's commonly referred to as late onset diabetes and doesn't usually require insulin therapy at the beginning uh, in particular compared with type 1 diabetes which is a completely different disease process really even though it leads to similar elevation of blood sugar uh, and that requires insulin right from the word go. But type 2 diabetes constitutes nearly 90% of all diabetes in Australian contexts and it's a predominantly lifestyle related disease that can be prevented in many cases and actually can be treated very effective with lifestyle measures. It does tend to progress over time but with good attention to lifestyle um, there are many people who can find that they can certainly delay any complications that may occur uh, and in many cases prevent them entirely. The biggest problem really with type 2 diabetes is actually cardiovascular disease, heart attacks and strokes. That's the reason that type 2 diabetes is generally going to get people into trouble and there can certainly be complications uh, in other areas of the body and we generally refer to these in medicine in terms of macrovascular, that's larger blood vessels, versus microvascular, smaller blood vessels uh, complications. And as I mentioned, the macrovascular complications tend to arise around cardiovascular disease, heart attacks and stroke and the microvascular complications generally occur 
in things like the eyes where you can get diabetic retinopathy uh, which can eventually lead to blindness if not treated properly. Um, you can get kidney disease um, where you can get diabetic nephropathy and again can eventually lead to kidney failure if not um, kept under well good control and then also blood vessels in the limbs that may affect nerve or um, sensory function or um, and, and in some cases then can predispose to ulceration in those areas because the uh, the blood supply is not being adequately entering the tissue and coming out to allow it to heal properly. Uh, and then that leads to complications of often amputation of, of toes or limbs. So what I wanna specifically talk to you today about is to give you some hope. And I think many times when a person gets a diagnosis of diabetes, they feel that this is irreversible uh, the only way to manage it is to try and do a little bit of improvement with lifestyle and then essentially you need to be on medicine for the rest of your life. Now certainly that is the case in some people. We do need to use medications that improve the body's capacity to handle blood sugar, improve insulin sensitivity. Insulin is the hormone that essentially takes sugar out of the bloodstream and takes it into tissues where it's needed for energy production. But I want to talk to you a, a little bit today about how beneficial lifestyle changes can be in the management of diabetes. And I would say that it is possible in at least 50 or 60% of diabetes, type two diabetes cases, to actually halt that condition in its tracks and even reverse the condition to the point where the person no longer meets the criteria for a diagnosis of diabetes. If one is to do this, there is really two major things that need to happen and they are an improvement in the person's diet and an improvement in the person's exercise. Um, it's very rare to find that somebody who has a really good diet and exercising very well gets type two diabetes in the first place. I guess it's not impossible, but it's certainly much less common. And so we know given that it's a lifestyle related disease that we need to improve these aspects of our life to actually manage this condition. So what sort of things are we talking about? It's really with nutrition, there are a lot of common themes that come through that are good for many different conditions. And when it comes to diabetes, we find that as we increase the vegetable content in our diet, you will find that you tend to um, improve your diabetic control. And, and certainly we need to lower refined carbohydrates and those are uh, processed foods um, that break down very quickly into sugar. Things like soft drinks, white bread, um, white uh, rice, things like this which um, will put a, a heavy burden on the body's capacity to deal with that breaking down sugar. And when you have type 2 diabetes, generally you're not able to deal with those sugar loads as well as you usually could because your body's tissues start not listening to insulin signals uh, and that's a problem. So we need to improve the insulin sensitivity um, in the tissues uh, and one way is to improve the diet. I can talk more details about that in another video. But another way that I really wanna talk a little bit about um, very briefly and I'll elaborate also more in another video is around specific strategies in exercise. And again, everyone knows we need to do more exercise and we need to move. With respect to exercise, your muscle has a almost infinite capacity to take up sugar. 
um, it just needs to be able to be told to do so. And that's where the concept of high intensity interval based training or high intensity exercise can be used as a very good therapeutic option for type 2 diabetes. If you'd like to hear more about this, I am going to elaborate it on in another video. If you have type 2 diabetes or somebody you know might have type 2 diabetes, you might be a bit frustrated at the lack of progress in your condition using conventional medications, but you realise that you need to make a good lifestyle change, certainly you can talk to your doctor and if your doctor or dietitian is really on board with helping you, you I'm sure you'll do very well. If however you want somebody who's even more focused on lifestyle, why not come to Sanctuary Lifestyle Clinic? sanctuaryclinic.com.au, you can go to our Facebook page, um, Sanctuary Lifestyle Clinic on Facebook, and we'd love to hear from you. This program has been brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio.